Hey everybody, welcome back to the Art of Photography. My name is Ted Forbes and today we are going to get back into a little bit of film photography and I want to talk about the Nikon F5. And this is a camera that I've always been very interested in and I've never actually owned one and this one has been kindly loaned to me. And so I've been trying this out the last couple of days and having a lot of fun with it. And there is a lot in this camera and a lot of stuff it will do. Um, I have had the Nikon F3 for years and I've always loved that camera. I have a Nikon F4 as well and this one is complete departure from all that. That stuff and so we're gonna do part one today of a two-part video series here and what I want to do in this first video is I want to go through the Nikon F5 and show you guys what all is in this camera and kind of how it works and in the next video what I want to do is go through my process again of scanning and digitizing film and I want to do this for a couple reasons one this is something I probably get asked about more than anything else when it comes to film stuff and I've done process videos on my scanning process before but with the Nikon F5 there's some additional things that you can do with metadata that are very interesting that are a little bit different than what you guys have probably seen so we're gonna do that in the next video but today I want to talk about the Nikon F5 it is finally dropped below 100 degrees in Texas it is August after all and I've been outside because the light is doing some very interesting things today <laughs> Okay, so we're gonna check out the Nikon F5 and I'm gonna do a little walkthrough on the camera and show you how it works and it is capable of a lot of stuff. Um, but before I get going into that, I wanna show you, just to give you a little bit of context, this is the Nikon F3, which was obviously the third in the Nikon F Professional series. The Nikon F3 is probably one of my favorite 35 millimeter cameras of all time. I've showed it off on the show before, I've done videos on it, and it's just so dead simple to use. And the reason it's my favorite is because of the simplicity of use and also the size and the weight and if you compare that with like the F4, which was the next iteration that came out in 1988, I believe, and the F4 obviously being a lot bigger and a lot bulkier, uh, this is the version with the motor drive, which was optional. But by the time you get to the F5, which came out in 1994, um, it, things change a little bit. And the Nikon F5 did draw a little bit of criticism because of this. The motor drive was no longer an optional accessory. And you can see that there are eight AA batteries in here and there's a considerable amount of heft and weight to this camera. Um, a lot of the speculation of why it was designed that way was because of all the advanced stuff that's going on in the camera with the metering system, with autofocus, and with all the options that you have on here that there's some speculation that the smaller batteries just wouldn't have been enough to power it for any decent duration of time and so it required more batteries so they just built the motor drive into it. You guys, if you ever shot on the Nikon D1 and I believe the D2 continued to use this, this same body shape and body style. So this is really kind of represents advanced 35 millimeter before the conversion to digital begins in the professional marketplace. Now there was a Nikon F6 as well, which was a great camera as well, but this is kind of the last that, that was in heavy professional use before everybody started moving to digital. And it does quite a bit and it is very impressive. Um, one of the reasons I kind of stayed away from the F5 and was never really interested in it is the type of photography that I like to do. I preferred something like the Nikon F3 because of the simplicity and this is capable of doing a lot of different things and I didn't want to get into a camera system that was going to be more confusing in nature but I will say this after shooting on this for a little while I'm really pretty impressed because it is fairly intuitive and after shooting on it and you kind of learn where things are it really isn't that difficult to get around on with the exception of the custom menu options and I'll talk about those separate um, but Nikon did a wonderful job of all the main things you would want to be able to set and change on this camera like the shooting mode if you want to go from aperture priority to manual mode or 
program priority. You know, you can very easily get to all those things. Exposure lock, bracketing, um, you know, all that stuff is really pretty easy to get to. And I'll kind of walk you through and show you how this camera works. Um, essentially, to turn it on, you have a switch right next to the shutter and there is a safety release on there so you don't accidentally do it. You turn it on. If you turn it further to the right, you get the LCD lights up. Now, there are two LCD screens on this camera that kind of give you everything you need to know. There's one on the top and there's also one on the back next to the motor drive. I have an optional back on here. This is the MF28 and this did not come stock on the camera this was an optional accessory and I'll talk about that in just a second. Um, the all the main functions on this camera are basically controlled by this main dial which sits right under your thumb and so generally it's a combination of pressing a button and turning this dial to set an option. So for instance right on the top of the camera you have your multi-exposure mode, you have your autofocus uh, mode selector, you also have your main mode selector so if I want to change from aperture to shutter priority for instance and you also have your under and overexposure compensation and so for instance if I want to just underexpose this a third of a stop I can press that and then turn the dial and then it will make that compensation adjustment. So really everything is a matter of pressing a button and turning the dial. Um, on the back on the motor drive you get some more options under this back panel that flips down and the options you get in here for instance if you want to custom set the ISO, you want to change your flash settings, you want to set it to do bracketed shooting, um, exposure lock um, and also this other button called CSM and what that is is then you go into your custom menu settings. This is a little bit of the downfall of this camera because modern digital cameras you have a menu system that you're able to go through which is kind of good and kind of bad at the same time. It's almost a necessary evil for all of the options that you have on a modern camera. But on this camera, we didn't have the menu system yet. And so you had what they called custom function settings. And so you would be able to go in there. And they're mostly things that you wouldn't set in the middle of a shoot necessarily. It's more like more permanent things you want to set up on the camera, like the duration of the self timer or whether or not you wanted um, the focus priority to hold when the shutter's down. There's, there's about 24 different options that you have in here. And there's a little cheat sheet that Nikon has that came with this. Now, if you think 24 is confusing, the Nikon F6 has, I believe, 40 something that you can go in there and set. So it's a lot of options, but like I said, the design is such that most of those are things that you would want to set up on a little bit more permanent basis or less temporary of how you're shooting. Most everything else is pretty intuitive and pretty functional. The body is streamlined somewhat up from the Nikon F4. And on the front of the camera, you do have a, a few buttons that you can use. You have your focus mode settings over here on, uh, well, I guess it's my left, your right side of the camera. You have your lens release button. And then over on the left side, you have the lever that does the mirror lockup. And then also you have a, um, a depth of field preview button. So if you're stopped down to like, let's say F8, and you want to see what actually that's going to look like, you press that button. Now, the biggest difference between this and the F3 and the F4 is those were manual um, depth of field releases. So you would actually manually push that and a lever would shift in the lens. This camera was designed to go with slightly newer lenses and I'll talk about that in just a second but this is a um, it's not a mechanical depth of field preview which is very interesting it's actually electronic so when you push that you're gonna hear the camera working and, and it's interesting um, but this really was an advancement in the electronical side or the electronic side of how this camera was going to work. The metering was a huge shift on this camera and while we had multi-segment metering in the F4 which was very advanced for the time this was the first one where Nikon introduced what they referred to as color matrix metering and so it took color into account of how it was 
interpreting the exposure of a given scene. And this was particularly useful considering that chrome film or slide film, color positive film was, a little, was the standard for color film at that time uh, for professional use. And if you've ever shot on slide film, you know that exposure is very important because you don't really have a lot in the way of dynamic range. Um, it's really easy to blow out highlights or underexposed shadow areas. So exposure was very critical in these cameras. So the two ways around that were one, introducing color matrix metering or color into that equation in multi-segment metering. And then also the ability to bracket very easily on this camera where you're gonna shoot three exposures. You can do you know one under, one over, and one right on. And so between those two things, generally you could get your scene down. Now remember when you're shooting film, you don't have a display screen on the back so you can't really chimp and check your exposure in the field. So you kind of had to trust your instincts and go with it. And it does all that wonderfully. Now I did mention I have the optional back on here. And this is very cool because this allows you to do a couple other things with the camera and it opens up some more possibilities. So first thing it'll do is interval-based shooting or an intervalometer. And so today we typically use that to do time lapses, but bear in mind that with film you have only about 36 exposures to play with unless you have a serious uh, accommodating back for long rolls of film. So you could do that, but interval shooting had several applications that you could do in there, but certainly you could do some time-lapse-based stuff. There was a custom long exposure settings that you could do with this back. So if you wanted to do an exposure, if you're doing astrophotography and you needed something to be 30 minutes or an hour specifically, you could go in and program that. Um, it also had kind of this interesting trick um, for focus priority shooting. And this was very interesting too. So you could actually trigger the camera to shoot when something drifted into the autofocus point. So depending on what you're doing with the autofocus on here, like for instance, if you're shooting sports like motocross or maybe, you know, um, race cars or something like that, you set up your focus point and as soon as a car comes around the corner and hits that focus point, you could actually set that to trip the camera. So it was kind of interesting. And then finally, one of the things I'm using on here is um, you could do um, data printing onto the film. Now, you could do it where it actually prints the time onto the exposure. I, I, that was very popular in the 90s for some reason. It drove me nuts. But you could also use this data back to print that information between the, the shots on the film, which is very interesting. So you could put a custom text in there. So if you wanted to put a location in there, something like that, um, you could have it do the frame ordering number. There's a ton of options. So if you want a frame counter in there, you could also have keep track of metadata. So if you want to do something like just um, shutter speed, ISO, and aperture, you could do that as well. Which brings me to another point. You do have this thing on the back, which is a PC terminal. And see, it's this kind of funky looking thing. What this enabled you to do with this camera was actually, it was recording metadata. Now this is a precursor to what you can do very easily with digital photography now, where it's actually embedded into the image file. But it actually had a way of keeping kind of a crude text sort of file in here that would keep track of aperture, shutter speed, basic metadata, which we hadn't seen in any cameras yet. And you could hook this up to a computer early on and download that information. When I do the next video and we talk about this process, I'm gonna get into this further because I think this is really pretty interesting because there's a way now that you can actually incorporate this into digital files after you've done your scan. And I'll get into that in the next video. Um, I'm using a module and some software made by a company called Meta35 and I wanna take a look at that as well. But that is the Nikon F5 in a nutshell and a lot of the advanced stuff that it will do. Um, you know, the pros and cons of this, it's a wonderful camera. It is seriously heavy, seriously bulky, you could use it as a weapon if you needed to, I suppose, but you could also say that of the other Nikon F-Series as well. They're all pretty uh, stout. This one's just enormously heavy. However, it does do a lot of stuff, and if you want to do a lot of 35 millimeter and want 
a very advanced option that today really doesn't cost much money on the used market. The F5 is a great way to go. I've really enjoyed shooting this on the last few days. And the only other thing I would mention is these really are designed to go with slightly more modern lenses. Now you can pretty much mount anything that's post AI on here. However, it was really designed to go with the AFD lenses and up. So not only did you have the color matrix metering, which is dependent on a more robust lens that has more um, that you can do with the uh, with the electronics in it. So like G lenses work just fine. Uh, AFD lenses work just fine. They will enable the color matrix metering, for instance. Uh, vibration reduction was possible with the Nikon on F5. Um, a couple other things too, it has self-diagnostic shutter in it. Uh, the shutter speed went up to, I believe it's one eight thousandth on here. And uh, it's pretty amazing what they were able to do. Actually, here's another cool thing is the flash sync on here actually goes up to one three hundredth of a second. Now, the problem that you have with that is you can't uh, use a flash at full power at that, but the fact of the matter is you could indeed go that direction. So anyway, it's a great camera and there's some really awesome stuff going on in here. So in the next video, what I'm going to do is I'm going to develop the film that I shot today and I want to show you my process of getting this over to the computer and show you a way we can actually get metadata out of this computer, or sorry, out of this camera as well. So we will do that in the next video. As always, guys, if you enjoyed this video, please remember to like it and share it with your friends and subscribe to The Art of Photography so you will always be up to date on all the latest and greatest videos that we do here. Anyway, I'll see you guys in the next video. Later.